Guys, welcome to All Our Nonsense. My name is Derek. Greetings, salutations, and all that other good shit. Um, I'm here today, as you can see from the artwork and the title, to talk about the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Number one, I want to thank the good people of Square Enix for even taking this project on. Um, they've kind of released a little interview series uh, on their YouTube channel. It's in Japanese. If you want the English translation, um, you have to go to IGN's YouTube channel. They have it. It's still in Japanese, but there are uh, English subtitles, so there's that. Um, this is my favorite video game of all time. If you're listening to this episode on Patreon, of course, and you follow the video game series, then you would know that this was my top game of all time. Coincidentally complete happenstance i did not plan it this way by the release schedule of the video game episodes they all release on a friday and this is my top game the way the release schedule was the final episode which was final fantasy 7 coincidentally happened to fall on the release date of the final fantasy 7 remake again completely coincidental i did not plan it that way that's just the way it happened if you're listening to this on the free feeds Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, or anything like that, by all means, go subscribe to patreon.com slash allournonsense at the dollar level. There's also a link here in the podcast info. You can go there and hear the remainder of my favorite video games, and you can hear the episode where I talk about Final Fantasy VII, as well as Red Dead Redemption and Red, Red Dead Redemption 2, Super Mario Bros. 3, Super Mario World, The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and some other games. I won't run down the full list because, frankly, I don't remember all of it right now. I actually have it saved in my phone. And to be completely honest with you, it was hard to come up with that list. And the same for my series where I talk about my top 10 MCU films. That one was even harder because the games have been part of my life for as long as I've been playing video games. However, the MCU only exists as of 2008 with Iron Man being the first film, then The Incredible Hulk, and then us getting Iron Man 2 and Captain America, the first Avenger and things like that. Um, so those episodes are also available, patreon.com slash nonsense. if you are listening on the free feeds. Again, there is a link to the Patreon here in the podcast info. Um, so again, Final Fantasy VII, they had worked on, you know, 13, 14, 15, all these games. And they had gotten to a point, from my understanding, where they were like, where can we go next? And they were like... Um, it makes the most sense to revisit the world of Final Fantasy VII. And I remember that June afternoon for the Sony show at E3. Um, I remember watching, and I got up to use the bathroom or do something. And I came back, and I don't know what they were showing, but I had missed what had happened in between. And I'm scrolling the Twitter timeline, and everybody's like, Sony won, Final Fantasy VII, so Sony won. And I was like, wait, what? And they were like, are you not watching the Sony show? I was like, I got up to do something for a minute, so I missed it. They were like, they're redoing Final Fantasy VII. And I was like, what the fuck, what? So then I was like, Link. So somebody sent me a link to the video, and I was like, oh my fucking God. I'm blown the fuck away. 15, 14-year-old Derek is really, fu- oh, 15. 15-year-old Derek is really fucking happy right now. Um, 
Me being a part of the PlayStation ecosystem starts with Final Fantasy VII. I was looking for a new console to get into. Um, I had had my Sega Genesis, and I was still playing the Super Nintendo like at family members' house and stuff like that. So I was part of both of those ecosystems. And I kind of wanted to move on to the Sega Saturn. I felt like that was natural evolution. I remember getting a video game magazine with uh, like my allowance my mom had gave me or something like that. And it was all about next-generation consoles, with it, which at that point was the Sega Saturn the Nintendo 64, and the Sony PlayStation. Now, at that point, my only knowledge of Sony was the Walkman, the Discman, and home CD players for your home stereo. Like, I'm like, Sony is making videos? The fuck? And then as, you know, it goes on, I remember when the Sega CD was a thing, and Nintendo wanted a CD peripheral to add on to the Super NES, and they had teamed with Sony to produce this, Naturally, Sony made the sound chip that existed in the Super Nintendo. So, as I'm reading through this magazine, I was like, you know what? This PlayStation thing looks pretty fucking cool, to be completely honest with you. But I really want the Sega Saturn. Of the the design of the three consoles, the box itself, when you look at them, the Saturn looked much better than the Nintendo 64 or the Sony PlayStation, in my opinion. I still think the Sega Saturn was a beautifully built console in terms of the shell of it. Now, the innards, the guts of it, I've never actually played it, so, like, you know, I don't know. I've been toying with the idea of actually purchasing um, the, the, the second iteration of the Genesis, which had the Sega CD that sat on the side just for display, and also to plug it in and see how it works, how it actually handled, and doing the same thing with the Sega Saturn. Um, but that'll come much later on, you know, if I, you know, get a home, get a house and, and start to uh, have a room where I display all my stuff because I'm way out of space. Now, I've got way too many fucking things from my Funko Pop collection, which is modest compared to those of some of my friends, to my video game stuff, to all my recording equipment, to, you know, my Mac desktop which i have dual monitors and then also i have my my macbook pro and i'm actually building a gaming pc and i'm gonna do dual monitors on that two 43 inch 4k monitors so i'm running out of space and that ain't included in the rest of my collectible shit i have so again that's gonna come much later but um the thing that got me into um The thing that got me into the Sony PlayStation was when I saw that they were going forward with Final Fantasy VII as a PlayStation title and that Sony was going to publish the game and Sony was going to throw millions of dollars of marketing behind it. Um, I dibbled and dabbled in Final Fantasy before on other consoles. There was a Final... I think Final Fantasy I came to the Sega Genesis. I remember my friend... um, He's basically like my cousin. His mom is like my aunt. Her and my mom are, you know, still good friends to this day. And I just, she's Aunt Mona to me. So I never really, like, that's my mom's friend, though. It's like family. That is family. Um, She rented her son, Ernest, a Sega Genesis from Blockbuster. You could rent consoles from Blockbuster back in the day. And so we were playing this thing. This is before my brother and I got our Sega Genesis. This is one of the reasons we wanted it. Also... My mom's other best friend, Carol, her daughter and her nephew had been playing. Her nephew had Sega Genesis, and he had been over their place playing it. And that was the first time I saw Sonic the Hedgehog, and I was like, oh, this is fucking dope. And I felt like graphically it was ahead of what Nintendo was doing with Mario because the Genesis was out 
before the Super Nintendo came out. So I'm like, this is like miles ahead of what Nintendo's doing over there with Mario. But I still love and respect Mario. Um, Mario Odyssey is, in my opinion, outside of Breath of the Wild, the best game that came out in 2017. These are both Nintendo IPs, homegrown and built in-house. So you know how I feel about Super Mario Brothers. Um, So she had rented him the the Sega Genesis, and uh, I remember him playing Final Fantasy and I was like what is this and he was like some game called Final Fantasy it was like one of the only games they had so we rented it and I remember playing Pat Riley's basketball and some other stuff but I remember thinking like oh this Final Fantasy thing is pretty cool and then I found out there were more Final Fantasy games on the Nintendo so I was like oh this is really cool and at this point I'm thinking they were all part of like because they're they're titled they're sequences Final Fantasy 2 this is whatever whatever so it's like Oh, is this a continuation? And you find out, no, they're they're all their own standalone stories. So I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. I kind of like these things. At this point, I didn't know that they were called JRPGs. Uh, JRPG stands for Japanese role-playing game. Um, so I was like, okay, this is pretty fucking cool. It's, it's really weird to other people, and they're like, this game is stupid. You can't shoot anybody. You don't get a fire flower. It's like, you don't get to be the Ninja Turtles. Why do you like this stupid fucking game? Now, anybody who knows anything about me, I am a nerd in the truest sense of the form. Um, do I have family members who come from areas that people consider the hood? Absolutely. Have I spent the night and weekends and summers in those areas? Absolutely. I am still a nerd in the truest sense of the form. I've lived in areas where you hear gunshots and sirens and it's just understood that you have to be able to carry yourself a certain way to survive in these areas, to survival of the fittest, but still at the same time, at the heart, I love comic books, video games, and absolute nerd culture, uh, even down to manga and anime and things like that. So, um, I, you know... Even being a part of this world, I was still like, I'm still going to be Derek. I'm still going to, you know, read comics and da-da-da-da and stuff, this, that, and the third. And, like, whereas you're coming up in the hood, it's like they say, Big said it. There's only two ways out of the hood. You sing Crack Rack or you got a wicked jump shot. You know, in the hood, you play basketball. Even football, but basketball's first. I'm a baseball player. That's my first love. Nobody respects baseball in the hood. They just don't. Well, there are some baseball fans, but, like, when you're talking to... The homies on the corner and shit like that. They're like, yo, stop that baseball shit. That's gay. Like, you, you whack, my nigga. Cut it out. So, um, I still, at the core, was, this is, I'm Derek. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue to ingratiate myself into things that interest me and care about what's best for Derek as opposed to what they think is cool. And, um... You know, a lot of people, I got a lot of flack for that, for being myself. And to this day, I'm still myself. And the crazy thing is now people tell me, they're like, D, the one thing I can respect about you is you've always been you. No matter what people said or no matter how people felt about it, you've always been you. And I'm like, thank you. And some of the people who tell me this now, they're like, when I was younger, they called me lame and an Oreo and stuff like that because of that. But I stayed true to who I was. And for that, I'm thankful. And a lot of other people are thankful. They're like, you being you and doing you gave people the courage to be themselves and, and do them. And again, I have to say thank you. So 
I kind of went off on a tangent there. I want to tie it all back to this game. Final Fantasy VII is my favorite video game of all time. Um, again, the Final Fantasy series, I always liked it. Final Fantasy VII took it over the top for me. When I saw the, the ads and the marketing with the, the full motion uh, video, I remember seeing those on MTV and stuff like that. And they're like, it's more than a game. It's an experience. And I was like, what the fuck? And then I played the original. I was like, oh, they really went there. The story of Cloud Strife and Avalanche, Tifa, Barrett, Wiggs, uh, Wedge, Biggs, Jesse, you include Yuffie, Vincent Valentine, um, Sid. Shinra being this corporation, this evil corporation, and them using that as a conduit for these big, large businesses that were basically monopolies and conglomerates the world over, that story spoke to me. And even at 14, I was not at all political. Or 15, I'm sorry. I was not at all political. Um, I did follow, in each election year, I did follow the candidates, even as far back as I think I was 9 or 10, 10 actually, um, Going into the George Bush Bill Clinton election, I, and even Ross Perot, I like, what does this guy stand for? What does this guy stand for? Who's this guy running on the independent ticket? How did he get involved in this? Oh, he's a millionaire multiple times over. This is why he's he feels like he has the wherewithal to run the country because of his business acumen and things like that. So I was never overly political, but I've always paid attention to politics going back as far as 1992. Um, essentially Final Fantasy VII is a political game. Uh, the Shinra Corporation is basically sucking the energy out of the planet. It go, it's called Mako. They have these big reactors, kind of like we have power plants, but the whole city is built. The, the Shinra building sits at the exact center of the city. It's all circular. It's circumference. Shinra building sits at the middle, and then you have these towers, these reactors that branch out, and then you have this plate where the wealthy and well-to-do live on the upper plate. And then at the very bottom is the slums, Sector 7 and 5 and things like that, where the poor live. So it's very, very political in that instance. So, and this is a spoiler cast, by the way, if you didn't see that in the title. If you've not played the remake, um, if you're not going to play it, by all means, listen. If you don't want things spoiled for you, I would stop this right now. If you have a PlayStation 4, buy the game from the PlayStation Store. I don't know if you're going to be able to find one at Walmart, Target, or anywhere right now in a physical copy. Buy the game, play it, and then come back to this recording. And, you know, because I don't want to spoil it for you. But again, spoiler cast, okay? Um, the remake released on April 10th, 2020. Um... I had pre-ordered the physical version and then the COVID-19 situation happened and Amazon sent me an email saying we don't basically we don't know when you're going to get your item because of this you know pandemic. So I had to buy the digital version from the PlayStation Store as well. Um I finished the game already. Let me start there. I finished it about 40 hours. Now, I only did side quests in the very beginning. To me, the side quests in the Sector 7 slums were very tedious and annoying, and it just kind of put me off to the rest of them. I did some of the side quests when we get to Aerith in the story, but not many. I did Actually, I did all the side quests in Wall Market, but I understand what they were doing. They wanted to give us the game over, but they wanted to... 
they've changed a lot of elements. Some of it I'm okay with. Some of it I absolutely do not like. Um, and a lot of it they had to change to incorporate the style, the combat style of Final Fantasy XV. Um, it's not a one-on-one. The world is... Well, even the world isn't a one-on-one because when you get to certain places, you're like, no, this ain't how it's supposed to look. Um, the way they have wall markets set up, it's all right. I prefer the setup of the original game much more. The way you reach the plate after the, you know, after they drop the plate where you climb up a wire and go through all this rubble and debris and stuff like that, where you had to buy batteries. They're like, if you're going up to the plate, you're going to need these batteries, and you have to use those to put into these things, and it gets these propellers going, and you can climb from a propeller to another part and stuff like that. They removed all of that. They took out one of the best parts of the game to me. Climbing up to the plate, even the music that plays when you're climbing up, I think is awesome, and they removed that. They kept the soundtrack in the game, save for that, and the wall market music is different as well. At certain points, you can hear hints of the original soundtrack from wall market, but other than that, it's completely different. So, I took a lot of notes here. Um, here's the thing, um, and this is just some stuff I jotted down. The main story is brought back to life by the Unreal Engine and current generation hardware. Some of the elements added to the original story are nice, and some just don't fit. That's in my humble opinion. Uh, I've already said the Sector 7 slums, the side quests are tedious and annoying. Um, I didn't care for them. I didn't care for the fact that when you get to Tifa's bar, you can clearly see them stand uh, on the platform that the pinball machine comes, you know, sits on. And anybody who played the original knows that you hit a button... And that platform goes down and you go into the lair to Avalanche's lair. And at the same time, even that upset me, what they did to Avalanche. So in the original, Avalanche is Barrett, Biggs, Jesse, Wedge, Tifa, and then Cloud. In the remake, they are just small parts of Avalanche. Apparently, Avalanche is this greater group that is out to protect the family and they're just members whereas it's like that's not you know i get it you had to change certain things to give us a fully fleshed out game because make no mistake about it this portion of the game i've seen some people on twitter say they've put 100 hours in if you play only the midgar section of the original final fantasy 7 it's 8 to 10 hours eight to ten hours and if they did the did that as a one-of-one one for this then you couldn't sell this game at sixty dollars at the base price you have to sell it at 20 bucks barely because you're giving somebody an eight to ten hour game and that's even you know with if they had done it that way they added the side quest for a reason i get it i just don't i don't have to like it and nobody has to like it but i especially don't care for it i'm sorry and people are probably going to attack me, and that's just the way it is. I don't care. I don't care for a lot of the side quests. There are a lot of bullshit. The new characters, that Johnny character, um, he's a fucking goof. Like, I literally wrote that down. Johnny from Sector 7 is a goof. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Clearly, he's trying to win the heart of Tifa, and he's going through it by any means necessary. But at the same time... 
it's understood that the guy is kind of like, I don't want to call him a snitch. Because if you're in the streets, if you know anything about the streets, that's the worst thing you can be branded. Um, he, you know, when, when Johnny first is introduced to us, Tifa's like, he suspects us of being part of Avalanche and having something to do with all this stuff. And Cloud's like, okay, is he a talker? And she's like, we better go get him. So you have to go fight off these Shinra soldiers to free Johnny. And it's like, otherwise, when Shinra starts putting the brakes to this kid, he's definitely going to rat and say, I believe it's Tifa, Barrett, you know, Jesse, Biggs, and uh, Wedge. So you have to save this kid or he's going to rat Avalanche out. Does that really, do we really need that in the game? Like, I didn't really care for, like, this character's a fucking goof. Point blank period. This Johnny character is a fucking goof. And they did not need to add this guy in. I get that you're expanding the Midgar story to give us a fully fleshed game. A lot of people are worried. They're like, we're never going to get the rest of this game. And that's not true. Square Enix is actively... Actually, before this part released, they were already actively developing the second part of the story. Which would start... And I'll get to that in a moment as well. Uh, when you leave Midgar after basically taking down people in the Shinra mansion, the, not the Shinra mansion, I'm sorry the, sorry, the Shinra building, and then you have the battle with the robots on the highway, once they jump off at the end and they reach the world map, a lot of people feel like that's where the game really, really begins. But I will never discount the Midgar section of the game because I remember getting my PlayStation and my parents like, and I was like, oh, I need a memory card to save my game. And they're like, what? The hell you need? What is that for? Like, yeah, you got to save your game progress. And uh, actually, my friend Justin was like, I had it, but I played a couple of hours of it and I didn't have a memory card. So I never revisited it. And I was like, wow. And then there's that that group of us who would leave their PlayStation or PlayStation 2 on because we didn't have a memory card. We would pause the game, close our eyes, fall asleep, turn the TV off resume right where we started the next morning if you didn't have a memory card that was a very common practice i did it and i know others who did it as well until i got a fucking memory card so a lot of people say though you know the midgar section i was you know that's where i spent the bulk of my you know early time with the game because i did not have a memory card um but like I said, they fully fleshed it out to make it its own full game. However, some of the things they use just don't sit well with me. Um, on the when you go on your way, actually, I'm gonna save this. So here's one of the things I did like. They fleshed out the story of the other true members of Avalanche. Where Jesse, if you play the original, it's understood that Jesse's like flirting with Cloud. I remember when people got to play the demo at E3 last year and all the reviews came out afterwards. You know, they wouldn't let them capture any video or audio, but they, you know, there was, um, there was like a flood of internet videos of people who were at E3 and who played the demo and Maximilian 
uh, Maximilian Dude, I subscribe to his YouTube channel. A lot of people do. He's very fond of Final Fantasy VII as well. Um, he's like, if you thought Jesse was flirting in the original, you're going to be like, holy shit, when you play the demo. So in the demo, you can sense it. When you play the full game, you're like, Jesse might as well just take a picture of her tits and her ass and all that stuff and send it to Cloud via text or snap like if snapchat existed in their world because she is basically putting her vagina out there for consumption by cloud it's like yo my guy understand that this is available if you are interested in it like i'm giving you this puss you want it come get it come rearrange my guts my friend jesse is over the top and pursuing cloud even in the demo, in the section that's the demo, she's like, so how close are you in Tifa? Like, oh, sorry, that's not really in my business. That's about the most subtle thing. Jesse's way the fuck over the top. But they fleshed out the story of these three people. Now, I will tell you this. In order to get Biggs' story, you have to play the side quest. So when I skipped some of those, I missed that part. There's a portion during where you meet up with Aerith from the church and on they Aerith kind of helps out in an orphanage near her home and it's understood that there was an orphan that was there that went on you know in later life and that orphan actually turned out to be Biggs and actually somebody had to explain that to me because I was like we're both planning like hey where are you I'm here where are you I'm here where are you and I was like it's cool that they fleshed out the stories, but why didn't they do anything for Biggs? And and he's like, did you play the side quest? And I was like, not all of them. And like, Biggs is the kid from the orphanage. And it's like, oh, okay. So with Jesse's character, um, it's just they flesh out her story. And it, it tells you this is why Jesse joined Avalanche. Because uh, basically... Jesse was working at the Golden Saucer. She was an actress and she was trying to get in the story and things like that and get in whatever the production was. If you played the original, you remember the Golden Saucer. It's one of the 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 it's a place where there's a ton of mini games. It's meant to be like fun. Whereas the mini games in this I did not care for. There's one I'm gonna talk about in a second that I really fucking hated. But um so Jesse was an actress. And her father worked at one of the reactors and he eventually got Mako poisoning and Jesse had to come home and her dad, there's a part in the story, again, this is a spoiler cast, where if you remember in the original one where the explosion, the first explosion, Jesse's like, I'm going to put more, like she told Cloud, I'm going to put extra care into your ID for the next mission. And with the explosion, she's like, something wasn't right. And Cloud's like, well, we did blow up a reactor. She's like, why was the explosion that big? It shouldn't have been that big. And Cloud's like, we blew up a reactor. So she's like, okay. So she's like, I need to use something to make the next bomb so it's not that big and drastic. Because when the first, when you blow the first reactor, in the in the original, you see what happens to, you know, that area. In the remake you really see how bad the, the fucking explosion is for the surrounding areas. And then Jesse's looking around like, I thought we were doing the right thing, but it looks like we're doing more harm than hurt. She doesn't say this, but the understanding is looking through her own eyes, knowing she 
made the bomb she's looking at what's going on in the city after this and she's like the understanding is is that she's like this is my fault i went too far so she needs to make a less powerful bomb that it only blows up the reactor and doesn't really affect much of the world around it so she needs to steal an id card to get into the shinra into one of the shinra factories well they have to go to her house so cloud has to wait outside jesse biggs and wedge go in and jesse's mom makes them pizza while cloud sneaks in the back and she tells them you're going to go into this room when you get in the house there's going to be two doors go to the far door don't worry about the guy laying in the bed in the room he can't get up the guy in the bed is jesse's father and he's extremely ill because of the mako poisoning and he can't get out so cloud has to steal his id card so they can get into the shinra building and jesse can get the materials she needs to make another bomb to blow up the next reactor so we find out from biggs that jesse came back because her dad got sick and the Mako poisoning is obviously detrimental to her father's health, health, I'm sorry, and he can't get out of his bed. So this is the reason why somebody like her would join Avalanche. So now I get it. I was like, okay, kudos to this. A fucking plus. You added an element to the story and you gave us something substantial about a character from the original that didn't get all of this. So, Jesse dies. Originally, I wrote that Biggs got nothing, and that's only because I didn't play some of the side quests, so I missed that stuff. Wedge survives. And I don't know why. Well, actually, Biggs and Wedge survive. Jesse dies. And I don't know why they deviated from the original story to go that route. It just doesn't make sense. The way that Cloud goes up the stairs to fight the Turks before they release the plate, the conversations that he has with each of them is, to me, very, very interesting. And in my opinion, it's like, why did you have to deviate from the original story? It's one of the greatest stories ever told of all time, especially in the video game landscape. So to me, it's like, you didn't really have to change anything, so I don't understand why you did. When, when you're going up the stairs to the plate as it's about to be dropped, this is where we, who played the original, feel that Cloud truly became a member of Avalanche at that point. You know, he had kind of brushed Biggs and Wedge completely off earlier in the original and even kind of tried to brush jesse off because it's understood that cloud has a thing for tifa um but also there's the era thing and that's another thing that pisses me off that they left out there was some tension not on era's side but on tifa's side when you're in the shinra building and you guys get caught and then they put you in those cells right after you meet red 13 tifa says something to cloud through the wall and then, I mean, sorry, Aerith says something to Cloud through the wall. And then Tifa's like, you know what, Aerith? And clearly there's tension. And we understand that Tifa wants Cloud. And she thinks that Aerith wants him too. And there's this tension there. But it's not 
because they skipped the part where you get captured in the building and the part where you're put into the cells and then you wake up the next morning and Sephiroth or the Sephiroth clone has come and taken Genova. All that is like the Sephiroth, Sephiroth part still exists, but they took the capture and the cells out, which I thought was a bad idea. That's essential to the story because Aerith begins to talk about what it means to be one of the ancients and how apparently they can lay claim to the the planet over everybody else. So um, it's just weird to me why they took that out. Um, A lot of the original moments are really, really drawn out. And um, a lot of the stuff they did... I'm not a fan of. And then when you even get to something like Don Corneo, the guy is presented as a rapist, right? Like he, like the point was in the original, even at like that age, I was 15. So at this point I knew what prostitution was. The understanding was that Tifa was headed to Don Corneo's mansion and she was going there to get information about the plate and what Shinra's plans were and things like that. And and Don Corneo thought that he was about to get laid. Like, Tifa was just the, the flavor of the moment right there. She was his little piece of spice. And he was just about to get, you know, he was about to get, get some. He was, she was there for the sole purpose to have sex with him. But in the new, in the remake, the implication is that Don Corneo's a fucking rapist. And he does this to these girls on a nightly basis. And I'm just like, this is way over the fucking top. And I'm surprised I haven't seen anybody in any commentary about it on any video game sites or even Twitter or anything like that. Because the implication is very fucking clear that he uses these women for sex and then tosses them aside. So, um, you know... I didn't really care for them doing that. And then another note that I put down, they took classic moments and then tried to enhance them and it doesn't work well. The train graveyard, you know, in the original is a part I love. In the remake, I absolutely fucking hate it. They put, you know, the ghosts do appear in the train graveyard in the original and that's fucking fine. And actually, seeing all the monsters enhanced and in high definition 4k amazing let me be very clear about that but some of this stuff they did i'm just not a fan of in the train graveyard all the like there are little ghost kids and apparently marlene is one of them which doesn't make sense because marlene is very much fucking alive i didn't care for that and then all the ghosts make one big ghost and that's the boss fight for the train graveyard and it's like why did you have to go this route it wasn't necessary and then these things for lack of better i'm just gonna call them fucking dementors because that's what they look like they look like the fucking dementors from harry potter apparently the whole game i'm like why the fuck are these things here and then it's explained at the end that they're here to prevent anyone from altering the timeline Cloud, when Cloud meets Aerith, when she gives him the flower, they show up. And it's like, what the fuck are they doing here? And it's like, they're to alter the timeline in case he tries, like, she's going to die. 
we all know the point where Aerith dies when Sephiroth, you know, comes down from above and his katana goes through her back. Aerith is going to die. Cloud is there to be her bodyguard, and that's how that part of the story goes. But Cloud stepping in to be her bodyguard would prevent her death is the understanding. So they tried to get Cloud the fuck away from Aerith. And then they show up at, at the Shinra building and so many other places. And I'm like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. And why did you do this? For the life of me, I can't understand some of the choices they made for this game. I really fucking can't. Um, again, the fucking wall market where you go to rescue Aerith from the Shinra building. Instead of climbing up the wall, you go underground first. And then they bring Don Corneo back and you have to actually fight Ab uh, Abyss again. The Tsunami Monster. You fight him when Don Corneo drops you through the floor into the sewer. You don't see him again in the fucking game. And then the Hell House, they built this whole thing in Wall Market where there's like this fight club that goes on underground. And then Cloud and Aerith wipe the ground with everybody else. And then it's like, okay, here, fight Hell House. It's like, what the fuck is this? This isn't where Hell House Hell House appears in the game. Why did you do it this way? I didn't understand the choices that they made. I understand you had to flesh the game out to make it a full experience because you're giving it to us in an episodic format. But what they did is basically bastardize the original game. Again, some of the stuff I love, some of the stuff I'm just like, no, this is really fucking stupid and it makes no sense that you did it this way. It just doesn't. Um, Jesus Christ, I wrote a lot of notes. Um, on the rescue mission to Aerith to get her from the Shinra building, there shouldn't be any side quests. I felt like that was fucking stupid. You're on a mission to get this girl who is supposed to be an ancient, has the key to open up all this stuff, can take people to the promised land. At no point does it make sense to have side quests on a mission to save Aerith. I'm just like, this is fucking stupid. Why did you, like, I don't understand what their thought process was putting this game together. I didn't care for that. And then when you go underground, this is where you find out this Leslie story. He's Corneo's right-hand man in Wall Market, and the kid comes off as a fucking dick. And he's telling you, oh, this is the key that we need to get through this door. And then you get attacked by these monsters and they take it. And then you have to go underground in the sewer and hunt them down to get what you think is a key to get into, like, to get out of the underground and get up. And it turns out it's a fucking locket or it's a neck. I think it's whatever it is. It's a piece of jewelry that was for his fiance. He proposed to this girl, and the next day, Don Corneo took her as his sex slave, and dude never saw his fiance again. And it's like, what the fuck is this? Who thought this was a good idea? And then you go back, and you see Corneo again, and you have to fight his monster again. Why? Fucking why? They had chocobo trainers and carriages. You had to interact with these people. You don't even need a chocobo. The first time you use a chocobo is when you hit the world map. After you leave Midgar, you need the chocobo to get across the swamp so the snake can't get you. 
they're introducing chocobo side quests early in the fucking game and i'm just like none of this is fucking needed at all and it doesn't make any sense um some of the elements from the original game like when you're in when you're trying to get to the playground where Aerith and Cloud sit on the slide and you're going through the slums and they have that mechanical arm that you go across. It's really cool to see those fully fleshed out in HD and you have to use them to be interactive to reach other parts as you're going through. It's almost like a platformer at that point. But a lot of this other shit, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and they left a lot of stuff out. The wall market stuff is done really well, but the way wall market is set up doesn't work well with the way the map is set up. And you're going in circles trying to get to waypoints to do missions and stuff like that. I did the wall market missions, but a lot of them I'm just like, no. And even the cl the cloud cross-dressing scene, they totally fucking changed that. It wasn't necessary. Some of the stuff you could have kept static. You know, you needed the dressmaker to make the dress. You needed to get him back, you know, you need to get him out the bar to make you the dress. You had to get the wig by doing the squat competition, and the squat competition's in the game, but it's not part of what you need to do to acquire the wig. So they've totally jerked all that stuff, and they're like, no, Cloud's cross-dressing is still in the game. And then the Honey Bee Inn, they expanded on that, you have a fucking dance-off. With this guy, and it's clearly, in, in, you know, the it's clear that this guy is supposed to be a gay man who's into fashion and things like that. Which I have no fucking problem with that. It's really cool that the LGBT community is getting representation in a video game. And I fucking applaud them for that. The dance-off, though, like, is that fucking necessary? Like, this ain't Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake battling in a club after he released Cry Me a River, which was totally an aim at her for cheating on him or whatever the fuck happened in their relationship. That's cool for Britney and Justin. We don't need it in a Final Fantasy game. They took a lot of liberties and really tried to stretch it when the game, the original game, the story alone is groundbreaking and you didn't have to do any of that stuff then you get to the shinra the shinra building the part where tifa has to climb across a light scaffolding to get over there to get the key card and all that stuff it's like come on dude like i don't know when you get to the drum in the building i love fighting hojo's like monsters and stuff like that but doing the whole thing where you got to open the doors for certain parts and the elevator, it's like, come on, dude. You, you took a perfect sequence and you fucked it up. The Shinra building is one of the best moments in the original Final Fantasy VII game, even when they get captured after they meet President Shinra. And you have the meeting with President Shinra, and then Sephiroth comes in and kills him right in front of you. Or the Sephiroth clone. And then you fight Genova in his office. Why? Why did they need, like, I didn't see the point of doing any of that. You could have told the story the same way and it would have been completely fine. Now, one thing I did like in the Shinra building is where you go to the museum. And there's actually a picture on the wall. And if you've played Final Fantasy X and X-2, you remember the character Shinra. And that's when we play, they're like, yo, this guy's name is Shinra. Is this tied to Final Fantasy 7? 
And apparently Final Fantasy X is actually a prequel and it takes place thousands of years before Seven. But there is a guy that pilots the ship you're on and his name is Shinra. When you go into the museum in the Shinra building, on the wall, there is a picture, and he's in the picture. So that's how they tied these games together to confirm, yes, this guy is directly correlated with the Shinra uh, company. So that was really cool. And then seeing, like, the various weapons on display. The one thing, and I'm going to go back to the second reactor bombing, Airbuster is actually one of my favorite missions, and that's one of the coolest things. Now, you get there as you're going after you're going to bomb the reactor and you have to go back to get out and you see President Shinra and he brings Airbuster to fight you to basically put a stop to all the bullshit you've done. That's one of the coolest parts. It's kind of cool in this game, but then the part where you can go into the Shinra lab and take stuff out of Airbuster to make the fight easier for you, that's kind of stupid because... Airbuster can fucking fly so he can get away from you anyway when he goes airborne you only have Barrett as anybody that can fucking attack and then for Tifa and Cloud you got to use fucking magic because Cloud fights with a sword Tifa fights with a fucking fist Barrett has a gun so he has a long range weapon to fight Airbuster as Tifa or Cloud you have to wait till he comes closer to the bridge again so it's like damn like all this, and then you can take apart, you can take certain components away from him before you fight him. Um, I don't know. Uh, the sweepers, those were cool. The shock troops were cool. The airborne shock troops, those were pretty cool. Some of the things they kept from the original, they did in a really, really cool way. Um, the Shinra guards who had the riot shields, those are pretty cool, but also they're fucking annoying. It's like, it's not a turn-based battle anymore. It's a free-for-all. So while I'm fighting one guy, one of these guys has a fucking electronic prod, cattle prod and he's sticking my ass. And it's like, oh, Cloud fell unconscious. Well, no shit. They're jumping my fucking ass. Like, what is this? But I get it. I fucking get it. And I love it. But some of the shit I'm just like, you could have done without this and you could have done without that. The Shinra building... Again, one of my favorite parts of the Midgar story, and I felt like they really kind of fucked that up, and they didn't give it the justice that it deserved and the credit that it deserved. You didn't have to... There's a lot of... The, the Midgar section of the game is perfect, all right? It introduces you how to use your materia and stuff like that. It's really fucking cool. They didn't have to touch it. Adding that new character, Merle, or whatever her fucking name is, where she tells Cloud, you better treat her right, like... Cloud and Tifa aren't even an exclusive or anything yet. Like, oh, I know that she's fond of you. Okay, that's cool. What does that have to do with me? We're not dating. Like, that's the equivalent of, like, you would see, like, TV where they would be like, treat her right or I'll cut it off. It's like, who is this old lady? Get her the fuck out of here. Then they got you doing a side quest where you find these cats for a little girl and shit. You're clearing the factory of monsters. These are all side quests in the Sector 7 slums. And then even after the slums fall down, after they drop the plate, you have to go underground and fight all these monsters, which I think is pretty fucking cool, but the fact that they let Wedge live and here we are, it's like, why the fuck are we doing this? And then also at the same fucking time, you let Wedge live, 
Biggs is off in a bed, but Jesse dies. Like, what is, like, I don't fucking understand why they did any of the stuff they did. And I don't really understand why you can't go down and see the fucking Avalanche lair. I also don't understand why Avalanche is no longer just the core group, most of your party, where it comes to where there's Avalanche is this group of people that exist not only directly in Midgar, but other places. And then the fucking mayor is apparently the Avalanche man on the, on the inside of Shinra, and they've got him locked inside a library, for better or worse. And that's fucking weird. I like that they kept the bathroom thing in there, though. I like the fact that you have to climb through the ducts and listen. You have to go up. You have to go into the bathroom. Over the toilet is the the air vent. You have to climb through that to get to climb back to the conference room to hear the president and uh, Scarlet and these other people in Heidegger have this conversation about the plate and stuff. And the one guy, I can't remember his name, even in the original, he's like, when are we going to start rebuilding the play? It's like, we're not rebuilding the fucking play. We're starting with Neo Midgar. We have the ancient. She's going to show us to the promised land. And, uh, you know, the promised land is supposed to be rich in Mako. Like, when they talk about the promised land in the Bible, they said it was fruitful with milk and honey. Same thing in this game. It's just fruitful with Mako so they can, you know, build a better version of the current Midgar. And... Again, like, I like that they kept those elements in, but some of the other shit I'm like, I could do without. Like, the fact where the president ends up hanging off the side of the building and Barrett brings him back in, and then you take him inside, and then Sephiroth kills him. And it's like, he's gonna shoot Barrett, because Barrett's like, no, you're gonna go on TV and stop telling lies on Avalanche. And you got a whole team of motherfuckers that whoop ass and you pull a gun thinking that's like you pull a gun on Barrett who has a fucking gun for an arm. How does that make sense? That made no sense whatsoever to me. He's like, when you have power and wealth, you can do whatever you want. Ha ha ha. Bullshit. He's got a gun for an arm. And even if you were to put the gun to his head and kill him, guess what? There's a motherfucker with a huge sword and this chick that knows fucking kung fu. You're not gonna make it out of here alive. So, Sephiroth killing him, yeah, that kind of made sense. But at the same time, you're not supposed to see Sephiroth this fucking early in the game. The hunt for the... When you take down the reactors, that's the main focus of the game originally in the opening when the sephiroth shit comes up it's understood that we're now on a mission to stop sephiroth because he's gonna fuck he's gonna summon this meteor that's gonna destroy the fucking planet and we're on a mission to stop sephiroth at this point and that was the aura of sephiroth you weren't you were just gonna hear about him he was here and he was here and he was there and you're tracking him across the whole fucking world map, the entirety of the game, and then they screw the pooch, and they fucking show us Sephiroth this, like, early. You see a glimpse of Sephiroth after you bomb the first reactor. Like, why am I seeing him so soon? They just really, I don't know. They they did too much with the story that did not need to be done. And then... Um, as I'm talking with my friend who's also playing the game, he's like, yo, after you're done fighting Rufus, cause you know, that's one of the biggest fights. And then you come down and then you get out of the building, you know, the elevator fight, uh, Barrett, Red 13 and Aerith 
fighting against the the other machine, they took it out of the elevator and they put it on the main floor of the Shinra building. And in a fight like that, even in the origin of the original, Aerith is almost completely useless. And in Red Thirteen, he's not even a playable fucking character. He's not part of the party, but he's part of the party. But you can't control him, which is fucking stupid. So Barrett has a fucking gun for an arm, and he's basically the only thing to win this fight. And Aerith is there for the sole purpose, honestly, of using magic and being a healer. Because she can't do shit with that fucking stick. So it's like, you change the combat, and you left me with basically some fucking scrubs to fight a huge fucking battle now i played it in normal mode i'm gonna go back and play it in the classic mode and see how it works there but um yeah cloud fighting rufus and then barreth uh barrett Aerith, and red 13 taking down that other the helicopter thing and then you get the the fucking motorcycle and the truck and then you have the battle on the expressway and once you finish that last battle, you go into the world map and you're done with Midgar. So I finished that and I'm talking to my friend and he's like, oh no, you've got like 30 more minutes of gameplay. And I was like, how? If we're only doing Midgar, the game should stop here. And then Aerith gives this fucking speech about if we step on the other. There's like a fucking, this mist it's almost like a tornado and then she explains that these fucking things that look like dementors they're meant to keep history on the same timeline it's supposed to be on and she's like if we cross over to the other side of this nothing will be the same and it's like okay what the fuck ever you cross over and you barely you have to fight these things these beings and one has a gun for an arm one has a sword for an arm and the other just fights with his hands. And it's understood that one of them represents Barrett, one represents Cloud, and the other represents Tifa. And it's like, what the fuck is this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? No, you didn't have to add all this extra shit. And I don't understand why the fuck you did in the first place. So then, once you defeat them... Then you have to fucking fight Sephiroth. That's not... It, it wasn't necessary. The best of the fucking game is the fucking chase of Sephiroth around the world map. Why am I fighting Sephiroth this fucking early? I don't understood what they did. And they just... I knew something was up because... In the original game, you have save points around the map, and then you have tents. And if you use your tent on the world map, it restores everybody's hit points and uh, magic points. Now they have benches that you sit on, and they have vending machines next to them where you can buy potions and stuff like that. And it's understood that if you see one of those, basically you're about to go into a pretty intense battle. So they had it at the end of the highway, and I was like, this is the end of the game. At least it should be. If we're only doing Midgar, this should be the end of the game. Why is this here? And it's like, oh, because you got another 30 fucking minute battle ahead of you. I'm like, who thought any of this was a good idea? For me, I cannot fathom. Um, it, it, it just... <sighs> if you're asking me, to grade this game on a scale of 10 i'm gonna give it a 7 out of 10 
And that's being generous because they changed so much and took so much out and fucked with the original story to the point where you didn't have to. And I just can't fathom how they thought it was a good idea. Like, no, no, this works. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't fucking work because the game drags on a lot of points. Now, I will give them credit, obviously, for the way it looks. It's beautiful. I will give them credit for the Turks. That's an, a, the fights with Reno and Rude are phenomenal. The Rufus fight is fucking dope as shit, too. Um, Genova, that battle happens way too early. Sephiroth, that battle happens way too early. I don't like the fact that they took out the part that you get captured in the Shinra building and then you wake up and there's blood all over the hallway. Um, I don't like the fact that Red 13 is not a playable character. Um, what else? Eris' mother, man, what a fucking bitch. Like, in the original. Uh, Elmira says to Cloud, I would like you to leave here tonight and not come back. But the way she, you, like, now because of the hardware, it's fully fleshed out. And you can see the look on her face. She's like, Eris, like, I'm going to go upstairs and make up the bed for Cloud. And she's like, you leave here tonight and don't you ever come back. Her face, the disdain that she has for Cloud in her face is insane. And then even, they kept that in where you had to sneak out of the house, and if you didn't do it at the exact right angle, then you would wake Aerith up. So now, they have like fucking tin cans and shit set up in the hallway. The minute Cloud opens the door and walks into the fucking hall, he knocks this stuff over and Aerith wakes up. And then eventually you get out and you, you know, you make your way back through the slums, and Aerith is like, oh, early start, huh? So it's cool they kept that stuff in, but... Um, when you, when, when Aerith gets captured, captured by the Turks as they're about to drop the plate, um, that bothered me that not only was Marlene at Elmira's house for safety, but they brought Wedge there too. It's like, why, why are we keeping Wedge alive? I don't, I don't fucking get it. Are they saving him for some big payoff at the end? Which Wedge wasn't a part of it. How big can your party get? Remember, we still have to add Yuffie, Sid, and Vincent was optional. So I'm thinking that Vincent is going to come off like Red 13 where he will fight alongside the party, but you can't control him. I'm thinking that's what they're going to do with Vincent. I would almost 100% bet that's what happens with Vincent going forward. So... You have all these things. You've kept Wedge unless you're going to kill him off before these other characters. Oh, I'm Kate Sheath as well. You're also adding Kate Sheath, who we know is going to double cross the party at some point because Kate Sheath is a fucking Shinra spy. It's a robot. The cat's not even real. It's a fucking robot. So we know we're adding all these people and they kept Wedge alive. And I'm like, is there a payoff for Wedge later? Why does Wedge deserve to live over Jesse? You know, I, I I don't understand it, and I don't understand this game. But again, like I said, seven out of ten. I'm giving you points because the world is beautiful, but a lot of the shit you didn't have to do. When you Tifa and Barrett go to bomb the second reactor, even that where you have to turn off these lights to use these elevators and shit. It's like. Damn, is all this really fucking necessary? Like, that is a very fucking tedious mission. 
where you have to move these elevators and use all this stuff and turn off three lamps because they're drawing the bulk of the power. Remember, if you live in the slums, you can't see the sunshine because there's levels on top of you. So they're using these lamps to basically create artificial sunlight for the people that live on the bottom um live on the the bottom in the slums. So all this again, I'm just like this is really fucking crazy and strange and a lot of this stuff you didn't have to do. The original story was perfect and all this was not necessary at all. And I'll give I give the game a 7 out of 10. It could have been a perfect 10 out of 10 if you take the story in the original world and you expand on it and you do it enough to where it resembles the game the way it if it was a a mirror of itself then it's a perfect 10 but you still have to expand on it so i get it but this version is basically if you're walking through a hall and there is a mirror and you catch a glance of yourself that's the best analogy I have for this. You caught a glance, a, a glimpse, I'm sorry, not a glance. You caught a glimpse of yourself and you look the same, but something doesn't feel right. And this game doesn't exactly feel right. I do give it a 7 out of 10. It was a good game. If this had been the original story, even back in 97, then it's still a top tier game. It's still a top tier game now, but... I guess we all thought that we were going to get a one of one and it's not a one of one. And then the craziest thing is that when, you know, we find out about Zach Fair way too fucking early. That's one of the things you see at the end of the Midgar section. You see Zach. And then there's this dog that they use as, you know, propaganda in the game. Um, and he's basically there to show you which direction to go. He's painted on walls. And whatever way his nose is pointing, that's the direction you're supposed to go. And then when you see him on a bag of chips that's flying around later when Zack is rescuing Cloud, it's a like the, the stamp that's painted on the wall is a beagle. The stamp that's on the fucking bag of chips is like a little terrier or something. So it's like, oh, this is a different dog. So then it's meant to tell you that this game has alternate universes and alternate timelines. But again, we saw Zack fare way too fucking early. If you know anything about Zack, when Aerith is like, oh, were you in Soldier? Yeah, just like him. Oh, my ex-boyfriend was in Soldier. Zack Fair is the boyfriend. And that's the only time he's mentioned until we get to the damn near the end of the game where we find out Cloud was never in Soldier. It was all in his mind. Uh, he had had Mako, po Mako poisoning as well, and that when they visited the the reactor in Nibelheim, Sephiroth shows Cloud, you were there, but you weren't there. It was me, Zack, and Tifa. Like, you're, you thought you were there. You were there. In essence, Cloud was there, but he was not soldier first class. He was basically just a grunt, the guys that wears the helmets. We don't find out about Zack then until that fucking point. And now you've already shown us Zack. And Zack's story is expanded upon in Crisis Core, which was released for the PSP. 
And now there's this rumors of this Final Fantasy Legacy collection that'll come to the Nintendo Switch, which will have Crisis Core, Dirge of Cerberus, and some other games. There's a mobile game that was only in Japan for Final Fantasy VII. So it's understood that apparently this is a rumor, and take it with a heavy, heavy grain of salt, that this is going to come to the Switch later, which makes no sense because Square needs a payoff. They need it to be on all systems, not just the Nintendo Switch. If they're going to do this, it's going to be on Xbox and PlayStation as well. So I don't believe it necessarily. Until I hear that it's coming to those, then I'll think that, okay, there's something behind this rumor. But, yeah, they showed us Zack Fair way too fucking early. So now it's... I've watched all these videos before I recorded this and you know I took notes as I was playing but before I recorded this I wanted to watch a bunch of YouTube reactions and things like that and the understanding is that the game exists in multiple like it's going to be multiple universes and nothing that we knew of the original is necessarily going to be true in the remaining installments of this remake and I'm cringing a little bit because I don't know what they're going to do. I just don't know what they're going to do and um, it's a little scary to see that one of the best, you know, one of the best games of my lifetime, my favorite game of my lifetime, and a game that everybody holds in such high regard, that they're probably really gonna fuck it up, and, you know, we'll see where they go from here, but, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some Advent Children elements in the game, you know, it makes me wonder how they're gonna handle the, the Temple of Eternals, how are they gonna handle Aerith's death, is Aerith going to die, how are they going to handle Kate Sheath? How are they going to handle Sid? How are they going to handle Vincent and Yuffie and all these things? Um, the Golden Saucer is dying. Are we going to see Barrett and Dine have their epic battle and understand that Marlene is not really Barrett's child? She's Dine's daughter. So, like, there's a lot going on, and I don't know where they're going from here. Hopefully, we'll get some information about the second part of the remake. Um... I know that everybody's going digital for E3 this year due to the virus. E3 has been canceled. So hopefully Square Enix will give us some information with this year's E3 conference. Um, I know that the game will go to Xbox One and PC April 10th of 2021. Sony has exclusive rights for the first year. It would be nice if we had information about the second installment by the time it reaches PC and Xbox next year. So I don't know. Um... If there's more information, I will definitely post it over on our Patreon channel. So, patreon.com slash nonsense. If you're listening on Patreon right now, obviously you get the early access. And if you're listening on the free feeds, please go ahead and subscribe to the Patreon. It's only a dollar a month for the exclusive audio content and um, $3 a month for the pre producer credit on episodes. But, again, my name is Derek. This is All Our Nonsense. Peace out, guys. Have a good one.